literally my days started with Ebony or thinking about Ebony or what to do with Ebony. Then, you know, get to work, be at work, and oftentimes have to find myself either hiding or trying to hide the fact that I had my game open on my phone. But around that time is when we first saw you know, the first whale uh, come in. And it was a fellow who easily spent, you know, $50,000 in the first three months he was playing to get his keep from like zero up to max. And as more people were willing to spend those ridiculous amounts of money, then the game developers just kept feeding them and giving them more stuff to buy and giving them better buffs and giving them, you know, every thing that they could do. Really think about where you're sending your energy and spending your own energy, your mental energy, your physical energy, because games like that and companies like that are not worth your energy. They're not worth your time and they shouldn't be supported by us. Before we get started, are you ready to take control over gaming? In phase one of our family program, we provide immediate strategies to stop the spiral and break through denial. In phase two, you make progress in all areas of your life, including increased motivation, productivity, and social skills. For information on our coaching programs, you can go to gamequitters.com and click book a call in the top right corner or email me directly, cam at gamequitters.com. Abby McStabby, welcome to Game Quitters. Hello. It's so nice to talk to you again. And tell us just off the top. When did you start gaming? Um, I started when my mom was going through chemotherapy and I would go to all of her appointments with her. Um, she would often sleep during treatment, but I had nothing to do and had plowed through some books and found a mobile app war game on my phone and uh, thought it would be fun. You know, you start building a city and stuff and then you join an alliance and then all of a sudden you find yourself talking to people from around the world and stuff. And um, the alliance that I was in, I really enjoyed because we were smaller, but we took the time to actually learn the science behind the game. And I loved being the strategy and, and that just kept me um, trying to find out more and learn more. It was almost like a whole new world in a way because I'd never played a game like that, where you build a city, build an army, have to defend it, help your friends defend it. Um, I played other little games, but nothing like that or anything that would take that much time before. And it really did help me to just fill those hours where I was looking for something to do. And what was the game called? It was Kingdoms of Camelot. Kingdoms of Camelot. And just for clarity, prior to this, had you played games growing up like N64, any... Game Boy, Pokemon, not really. Not much, right? Like we, we didn't have a video game console. My brother got one, but by then I was like 17, 18. So I'd played some arcade games with friends, but in terms of just sitting down and gaming for hours, that was just never part of our life. We grew up in a home where it was like the sun would rise and our parents would kick us out in the morning and they'd be like, be back for 12 o'clock for lunch and then kick you out again and be like, okay, I'll call you for dinner. And you were just outside and finding things to do until those things came about. So really the whole gaming for hours was never a part of my life through university or anything until I found myself in that situation where I was just bored and looking for something to do on my phone one day. Right. So actually having the phone, you know, in your hand, searching for something to do ultimately was kind of the gateway for you to to discover the, the gaming world and 
and find this game initially and then that kind of entered you into moving forward progressing with games right yeah and so you played that game and then I, I know another game that you like to play was ebony so what was the transition like for you from it was kingdom of camelot yeah the game had just gone downhill and um my entire alliance decided to quit so because we were just not happy with the direction where the game was going um and it wasn't about strategy anymore it was about money so literally we we're like okay we're out and everybody in the alliance we all just dropped our lines tags zeroed each other out in this blaze of glory and left and left the game and it was so much fun and we kept in touch for years and years and years um and then i found myself again in the hospital i'd broken my ankle got bored was looking for something to do found ebony and thought oh here's a new free mobile app and at first it was very free and fun and again i was looking for something to do to kill time on my phone and so downloaded it and that was the beginning of a six-year journey of ridiculousness yeah six years <laughs> wow and on a, on an average day what would your lifestyle around ebony look like wake up in the morning first thing you do is you check to see what happened and you know you could catch up through the chat app and and what was going on with the alliance um, but I would often just right away load up the game, check on my account, and then go through battle reports to see who got hit, who hit who, kind of what happened the night before, um, and then get out of bed and actually start my day. So literally my days started with Ebony or thinking about Ebony or what to do with Ebony. Um, rarely did they start with, oh, I better go make breakfast for myself or anything like that. Um, then you know, get to work, be at work, and oftentimes have to find myself either hiding or trying to hide the fact that I had my game open on my phone and I was trying to join rallies so that I could get free things so that I could level up and get the stuff I needed to keep playing. Um, so I was either trying to hide that at work or I was, um, you know, making excuses to leave meetings, things like that, because something would happen and, and somebody in my alliance would need me. And so I'd be like, I'll be right back and run out and help them and then go back in. But it was like the constant distraction. Um, and then drive home. I never drove and played. I wasn't one of those people. <laughs> and I always warn people in my alliance, don't drive and play because that's really dangerous. Um, but some do. And, um, you know, from the time I get home back on it again, as I cook dinner and stuff. And even though at that point, you're not like hardcore playing, you're still watching and you're joining things and you're chatting with people and stuff like that. And then after dinner, just game until bed. So it was very much, you know, a major priority for you throughout the day, but you also felt a need to be checking in and a, and a need to be available, uh, because you know, if you didn't check it first thing in the morning, what would the consequence be of that? What, what would happen if you hadn't checked? Usually you kind of feel like you get um, blindsided by something that happened, you know, and because my role became very much about taking care of people in my alliance, um, then right away I would want to see if somebody's shield was down, if something had happened, if they needed help, and I, if I could get them quick help before I walked out the door in the morning kind of thing. Um, but I guess there just became this need to know. I need to know what's going on. I need to keep up with what's going on. 
and quite often they'd release new content overnight and so then you're logging in to see okay what's new what your new gear has come out what you know <laughs> what's the change today um and just i guess trying to keep up with it all because it was constant new content coming out and ebony is the type of game where it's essentially always on and so if you're you're sleeping you're at work you're in a meeting your base could be attacked and that could have a major consequence to your opportunity to play. Yeah, you would lose everything, right? If your shield fell and if you didn't have a good defense system or people weren't reinforcing you and another alliance came along, you, you could just lose it all in the drop of the hat. Everything that you had accumulated and opened and all the troops you had made. Um, in the beginning, it was very much like that because when troops got killed, they were dead and you just had to remake them eventually. Um, but now they've got it so that in the game, troops don't really die. They go into a thing called the Holy Palace and you can revive them there. But of course, you need certain things in order to do those revivals and you can buy them or you can try to get them from grinding out things very slowly. Um, but even that, you know, you're always thinking, I better stock up on horns. I better make sure I have the souls. I better make sure I have this. I better make sure I have that just in case something happens and I'm not there to see it. Yeah, I think that like a game where it's always on, where your base can be attacked at any moment, it really keeps you putting it at the forefront of, of not just being prepared for that, but also needing to respond very quickly if something like that does occur. So it, it keeps you in a mode of, of needing to know what's going on, because otherwise you could kind of lose everything. And You've worked really hard or you've spent a lot of time or, or in fact, even a lot of money to accumulate this base and, and to have your defenses up. And then it's all ruined because you went to bed at night. Right? Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And you're a pretty competitive person. I've, I've come to learn. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. I don't go halfway and I find it very hard to go halfway um, to just be a casual player and be like, man, no big deal. We lost. That's just not in my soul, unfortunately. Yeah, me neither. That's definitely not how I am at all. If I'm going to play, you know, I'm all in. And, and you know, not, not, not to jump the gun on this too much, but, you know, a big part of why for me I've had to choose not to play games going forward is, is actually specifically because of that. Because I know for me, if I'm playing, I want to be the best. I want to try to do the best I can. And it just, it requires so much of my time, so much of my effort. And I guess now that I'm a bit older, it would require so much more finances for me to really achieve that. And if I just don't engage in games that are competitive like that, where I'm not attached to that outcome in, in that sense, I can save all that energy, you know, and be competitive in other areas, whether it's, you know, with my business or, or in other hobbies that I have. And let's go back to... Initially, the game was free, and it was more designed around that. When did you start to notice that it started to change to being more of a pay-to-win type game? Probably when they opened around the 400th server. So every couple of weeks, originally every couple of weeks, they would open one new server. Now it's pretty much every day they open a new server. Um, and people who aren't doing well in one of the old servers will often just start a new keep on a new one. You get better deals on the packages in the new one because they want new players to come in and spend a lot of money. 
So everything that you can buy there actually gives you way more than if you were to buy it on one of the older servers. Um, but around that time is when we first saw, you know, the first whale uh, come in. And it was a fellow who easily spent, you know, $50,000 in the first three months he was playing to get his keep from like zero up to max and more power and more troops than people who had been playing for three years had. Um, but he just dropped a bunch of money. And then we started seeing more and more and more of that. And as more people were willing to spend those ridiculous amounts of money, then the game developers just kept feeding them and giving them more stuff to buy and giving them better buffs and giving them, you know, everything that they could do was just like, well, you had to buy what they called a full cake in order to get this special castle that would give you all these buffs and stuff. And my team, which was never a heavy coin team, all of a sudden we'd go into battlefield situations and, you know, there'd be somebody there triple our power who's only been playing for a third of the time and they would have these huge buffs and could just steamroll us, like, no problem. And we were like, what the heck is going on? So I think that that was part of the beginning was, you know, it all started with one guy doing it and then saw more and more and more doing it. And now it's just the common way. And uh, most people have accepted that if you want to keep playing that game, you better be prepared to spend, you know, five to $10,000, if not more a month on it. A month. Yeah, that month. that is nuts. And yeah. just to give some context for people listening. So you have your, your account, you have your keep, you have, you know, your, your character, and then you have a team, right? So a guild, right, that you've kind of joined. And part of the game is that that guild is then going out into the battlefield, which occurs, I believe, if I'm correct, at like once a week or twice a week? Twice a week, yeah. Twice a week, there's a battlefield. And that's team versus team. Yep. So there's actually a lot of pressure, not just for you to be enhancing your character, but also to be helping your guild be as strong as possible. Exactly. So you there's know, actually some social pressure to, mm -hmm. to be able to spend because if, if you're not spending, you know, that's not just affecting your account, it's actually affecting your team's ability to win. Yeah, exactly. And you can see people feel so bad that, you know, they get killed in one shot. And um, it's not their fault, they're just, not able to or unwilling to spend that kind of money in order to get this new gear and new generals and all that kind of stuff that the game has brought out and there's no way around it it you know the people that are spending that have an, an enormous advantage now people spending money at the end of the battlefield their account is still strong oh yeah yeah you get everything back at the end um, so all the troops that got killed and everything, they just all reappear again. The only thing that won't come back is traps that you build for your wall. You have to rebuild those. So what mechanics did you notice within the game of the game providing opportunities for these accounts that had already spent money to continue to spend money and continue to spend money? Because after one battlefield, if they win, the game would obviously want them to then you know, be spending another five, ten thousand $10,000 next month too. And so what mechanics did you notice the, the game kind of implemented to keep people spending money month after month? The introduction of new generals. And a lot of the new generals don't have 
a big advantage over the old ones that you can get for, you know, free from the tavern. Um, but they've got a little bit. So it's an extra 5%, 10% kind of thing. But then they introduced this thing called Ascension. So then you can upgrade those new generals and the new generals you can only get through buying packs. You, there's no other way to achieve those. Um, and then you can ascend those generals, which also takes, of course, special materials and stuff that you can slowly try to grind out. But you need fragments of those generals. So, you know, if you had Genghis Khan as one of your generals, you would need 30 Genghis uh, fragments or something in order to just do the first ascension. And then there's five levels of ascension. So then they would keep spending on the packs to get more general tokens and the hopes of getting the general they want. And that's a big part of it too, is you're constantly gambling. You don't get to buy the general you want. You get a token and it might give it to you, it might not. Oh, look, it didn't, I don't need this general. So then you buy another pack and another pack and another pack until you can finally get enough fragments to do your ascension. Um, so that was a big part of it as well as all the speed ups and um, all the kind of bonus castle buffs and stuff that you get uh, each time. Every time there's a new event, which is at least every two weeks, they've got some kind of a new castle, some kind of a new decoration, some kind of a new march effect that gives you these buffs that will again give you more advantage over the people that aren't spending. And ultimately it's all so that you can win the battlefield yeah. or the event at the end of the day. Yeah, I had one girl, um, there was a scandal a, a month or so ago where a, a lot of people um, paid a third party to buy them packs of gems and stuff really, really cheap. Um, and uh, they, it ended up being found out and it was exposed and they had got, the accounts wiped a little bit. So they took away troops and they took away gems, but they didn't take away generals and all the other buffs and advantages that they had gained. And for people like me that didn't do that and don't spend on the game that way and stuff, um, you know, we were quite mad about it. And we were like, you know, you guys gained so much by cheating and the game is doing nothing about it. And this one girl said to me, you don't understand what it takes to compete and win. If you did, then you'd understand why we did what we did. And I thought to myself, no, I understand perfectly what it takes to compete and win in this game. I'm just unwilling to do it. And that was another big, you know, I've got to get out of this soon. <laughs> And and I had been talking to somebody and he'd wanted to buy my account and I knew that, you know, it was going to happen, but it was going extremely slowly while he got his finances together and did what he want, needed to do. And, and I was like, don't wreck real life to make this happen. You know, like at the end of the day, I'm going to walk away and probably give you the keys at some point anyways. So, you know, don't, don't stress yourself. Don't take away from your family to get make this happen, please. So that's part of the reason why it took me so long to exit as it is. It, I just wanted to give him, you know, the chance to do it properly the way he wanted to do it without breaking the bank kind of thing. Well, I think that that's an aspect of this game that is really interesting because obviously there are some people in the game that have unlimited amounts of money and are, are in a position to be able to spend 10, 20, 30, $50,000 on a game for some entertainment, it doesn't really affect their bank account much at all. But then there's a large amount of people playing this game who are just everyday people, normal folk, 
playing the game because, you know, they were at the hospital. They needed a little bit of time to kind of kill on their phone. They found this game. It was kind of fun. But then the need to spend in order to compete and in order to have a chance to win was there. Yeah. And these individuals, they didn't just have an unlimited bank account to go to. So I imagine that there were ways that that these sorts of, you know, kind of everyday people had to find ways in real life to be able to get cash to be able to spend on the game. Yeah. Do you have any anecdotes of of what you've seen from this sort of demographic of of things they've had to do kind of in real world to to get finances for the game? So I've heard a lot of, you know, nightmare stories of um, people taking, you know, people taking money that their spouses don't know about. Um, we had one fellow in our alliance whose marriage broke up over it. And um, I would like to say that, you know, he learned his lesson. But it's been, you know, months and months and he's still playing and still kind of mad at his wife for being upset about it. But I've seen how much he spent. And honestly, I think most people would be upset about it. Um, so I've seen marriages break up. And he wasn't the only one, not by any means. Um, a lot of people try to do chargebacks. So they will, you know, turn to uh, turn to Apple and say, oh, yeah, I didn't really get the merchandise that I bought and try to get refunds and refund over and over and over again. I've heard of a lot of that. Then there's working with third parties where it's very, in my mind, it's very risky because you have to give them your account login information and then they'll go and load you up with gems and stuff. They get all the money, not the game developers, but you're still paying some stranger to go into your account. And there have been accounts that have gotten hijacked from doing that. Um, all of a sudden you lose all access to your account and everything that you know you had bought and paid for and takes a long time to get back and usually a lot of damage is done until you get it back. Um, and then, you know, there are younger kids that, you know, drop out of university and you hear the stories of, you know, I'm flunking out of school and stuff like that. Not a lot of young kids play that game. It's, I would say, mostly college, university age. Um, but you can definitely see an impact there. And one guy who said uh, he used all of his t tuition money to buy packs for the game. And so he didn't know how he was going to tell his parents that now, you know, I've, I need the money for tuition because I actually spent it on a game. He's like, what do I tell them? I'm like, you have to tell them the truth. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. And that I think that's where, you know, for people listening, some people listening might be a bit skeptical about, like, why would you play a game where you have to spend this sort of money, et cetera. But we know psychologically, as we're spending money, we're getting more attached to the outcome. We're getting more attached to the character. The longer we're playing, the more money we're investing, we're just more and more emotionally invested in, in the experience. And it becomes that much harder to be able to walk away. I know in your particular situation, having spent you know, money and, and time to build up your character and your account, walking away from it became very challenging. And so what were the barriers for you in being able to walk away from the game? For me, the biggest barrier was feeling like I was letting people down by leaving. You know, um, these are people that so many of them I respect. And I, I think they're some of the most intelligent people I know. Um, 
And that probably seems silly because of the way the game sounds. But when we all started together, it wasn't this way. It wasn't this greedy. Um, but, um, you know, and you helped me so much with that, Cam. Just if they are your friends, you guys are going to keep in touch. And you're right, you know, and we are. I've walked away and we are keeping in touch and still chatting every day, which is really nice. Um, but I had some big decisions to make. You know, do I just take the first offer and go? Um and then I just felt like that would be letting my team down because that account would have gone to a different alliance and been helping them. And that's not what I wanted. And then there were some people that I helped them with their accounts and they were going through chemotherapy treatment and they were going through things that they had shared with me personally. Um, and I didn't want to just walk away from them. I, I wanted to make sure that they were okay, that I could finish what I promised them I would do um, which was to take care of their stuff while they took care of what they needed to. And we came to a point where, honestly, it just finally all came together. Um, I found the right buyer. I found the right person. People didn't need me there as much. or didn't feel like they needed me there as much anymore. Um, and I could just say, it's time. And they all knew it was coming. I had been talking about it for months and saying, I will be leaving. I am setting this up to go and giving them some of my stuff. I'm like, you take this because, you know, it's a really good alt for farming or whatever the case may be. And so I had been giving things away and I guess planting those seeds. So when I finally said, okay, it's done, I'm out, they weren't shocked. You know, there was some sadness, but nobody was shocked. And um, now that they say that we are keeping in touch, I think they feel better about it. And now I'm talking to them about walking away and just like, you know, enjoy life stop wasting it with this greedy game that honestly is only going to get worse they're not trying to take care of players they just want money other than spending money on the game how did you know that it was affecting your life how did, how did you start to come to that point where you were like i need to walk away from this i need to do something about this i think um one of my I, it's hard to really know the point where I was like, okay, I need to change this. But I think it was just realizing how much it was affecting my focus and my sense of focus. And I would almost feel numb mentally after playing for a long period of time. Um, but it was that instant gratification all the time from the game and then not getting that with work because everything takes so much longer in order to finish with work. Um, and just finding myself not wanting to do work. And, you know, when I talked with you and we went through and you were like, this is totally normal. This is what games do. This is how it impacts your thinking and, and shared some of that research and videos with me. That made a huge difference. And I started to watch myself and just become very self-aware of, okay, I'm starting to feel like I am numbing out. I'm starting to feel like I can't get started on this project and recognizing it's probably because I want that sense of instant gratification that I get from Anthony um, and then choosing to ignore that and forcing myself to do this instead. And it's so much better. Like I'm so happy with the quality of my work because I started to push that away. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a clean break for me. It did take a lot of self-examination and just going, 
you know, okay, he's right. Cam was right. This is what is happening to me. This is what I'm feeling right now. And it's normal. And this is what games do. And this is what developers hire psychologists to teach them to do. And this is how it's programmed. So I'm just falling into it. I imagine from, you know, being able to sell the account, you're not getting all the money that you, you've spent no. back. No, no. But from, from getting what you got for the account, do you have plans of what you're going to do with it? Yeah, I'm going on a vacation with my family to Vancouver Island. Um, and we're just going to sit there and we've got a cabin, um, things like that. Uh, for me too, I've got some plans to write. Um, I've got two book ideas and one which I've started and the other one I'm going to start drafting the outline and doing the research on and stuff. Um, so that will be another part of it and just basically using it to enhance life. Um, you know, I've started looking into yoga and doing some different things that aren't about a game, but instead just, again, like enhancing real life and using that money to, you know, buy some new things to sit around chairs and stuff to sit around the fire pit with, <laughs> you know, like I'm just looking at it going, how can I use this to actually enjoy life? And I love sitting around the fire pit. So maybe I'll get some new chairs for there. That sounds good. I, I like the idea of being able to use it to enhance your real life. So for the people who are still playing the game that you're talking to them, helping to encourage them to be able to move forward or, or for someone who maybe finds themselves playing a game similar to this or just any game in general and they're kind of struggling with some of those barriers to, to really kind of move forward in their life. What advice would you have for them? The advice I would give to them is to really think about where you're sending your energy and spending your own energy, your mental energy, your physical energy. Um, because games like that and companies like that are not worth your energy. They're not worth your time and they shouldn't be supported by us honestly. And I get it that it's a really nice way to meet people, but there are other ways to do that and to engage with people that you've met online that aren't this. Um, and I would just say, have a good look at what you're focusing on and what you're giving your own self to, and don't give it to somebody like that. You know, like a game company like this is not worth it because honestly, I find what they do reprehensible now. I think, um, they are just out to honestly take as much as they can from everybody and could care less what the consequences are. Yeah, it's well said. I, I mean, I, I think especially when it comes to games like this, they're designing their, you know, in their terms, in-game economy in order to maximize spending from every user. And I think that the way you describe it of they're trying to get as much out of you as they possibly can without being concerned about the impact on your life, on your relationships, on your well-being, on your finances. They're just concerned about their own stuff and they're not concerned about their users at all. And that's, you know, alarming in many ways. It is. And they're not even concerned about creating good game content. That game is laggy and it's flawed <laughs> and people glitch it very easily and they're not going to fix it because they don't need to. People will keep throwing money at them. Well, this was fascinating and I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I know that, you know, one thing that we kind of discussed just prior to the call was how, you know, often the stories represented out there tend to be the traditional FPS, 
right? PC kind of console games, you know, maybe younger male demographic. But there are so many people out there playing lots of different types of games, but certainly these sort of more mobile pay-to-win type games who are everyday folk really just out there, maybe, you know, from an older demographic a bit, you know, I'm putting myself in that demographic now being over 30. And these people are often not necessarily represented in stories out there of people struggling with gaming addiction. To these people, what would the final message you have? Um, I guess to them, I would just say, live life, you know, live real life. Um, enjoy the world around you because there is a lot of beauty and stuff and sitting there and gaming all day and um, being, I guess, at the mercy of your game, you know, by having it on your mobile device. So it is with you constantly 24 hours a day. It is not healthy. It's not healthy for you physically, mentally, spiritually, nothing. So stop. That's a perfect way to end this. So thank you so much, Abby, for sharing your story. And thanks so much for being a part of Game Quitters. Oh, thank you so much, Cam. And thank you for all of your support. Thanks so much for listening to the Gaming the System podcast. I hope you got value out of today's episode. On GameQuitters.com, we have hundreds of YouTube videos, articles, and other podcast episodes to help you get control over gaming. We also have bespoke coaching programs where we work directly with you and your family to get gaming under control for good. For information on our coaching programs, email me directly, cam at gamequeers.com or go to gamequeers.com and click book a call on the top right corner and I'll share information with you then. Together, we will get your son back on track and we look forward to working directly with you.